0: Fairly well known that we tried to we tried to trade for Nas back in uh,
1: when he was in Toronto. Um, you know he's got a unique combination of of skill and snarl, and uh, he plays a premier position at center ice. Um, he can play heavy. He's highly highly competitive. Highly skilled
2: that is Calgary Flames general manager Brad Treliving talking about the newest addition to his team Nazem Kadri who signed a 7-year, seven, $7 million per season deal with the Calgary Flames yesterday. It's Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari Family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. And joining us now to talk about the Calgary Flames and the latest big news in an off season of big news for the Flames, uh, he covers the team for Sportsnet. It is Eric Francis. Eric, thanks very much for doing this. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm good. How are you guys?
2: Are you? Uh... <laughs> I mean, are you out of breath from covering the flames this off season? It's been one thing after another, and I mean, what was your initial reaction to uh to the Nasm Kadri news yesterday?
0: uh you know i had been talking to Brad Shiving throughout you know the last four or five weeks and knew that they had keen interest in uh nasam kadri and you know in twenty nineteen they tried to trade for him, but Kadri turned the trade down because he wanted to remain a leaf uh so i I knew that there was this long standing love affair they had. Uh, not just with Nazem Kadri, but the desire to build up the middle and add snarl, you know, some toughness and some grit, some character—all these things that Daryl Sutter covets—and both the general manager and this coach in Calgary both believe strongly in that old adage of building up the middle if you're going to win a championship. So, I'm, I wasn't surprised, I guess, that that the, that they finally came to a deal. But you know, of course, they had to make room to make that deal, which was getting rid of. Sean Monahan, and that was pretty costly. So anyway, the short answer is I wasn't shocked, but especially in an off season where I guess nothing should shock anybody here in Calgary.
1: Was there a point at one at one point when when Johnny Gaudreau left and Matthew Kachuk wanted out, but the trade hadn't been done yet? Was there talk in Calgary of wait a minute, we might have to rebuild this thing?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, I called Brad Triller in the night before he made the Kachuk deal. And I asked him that straight up, you know, off the record, just two guys chat, and I basically said, like, are you going to have to rebuild? Like, are you getting many good offers here? Because you he can only deal with three teams, really, with Matthew Kachuk. And he said, I don't know. It, it, it really all depends on this deal. I mean, it really did come down to that deal. If he didn't get much of a return in terms of now, uh, then they probably would have had to kickstart some sort of a rebuild. But that trade was so powerful and so important for them to get back to, you know, two stars really in Weegar and Huberto that uh, I think it changed the course of this franchise. I mean, it, it, uh, it, everything could have turned on a dime had he not gotten that monster return for Matthew Kachuk. So, uh, so yeah, there, there was definitely a fear and in this city, a lot of people were calling for it. And I, I dare say in that, that, that period that you're talking about while they were waiting for a Kachuk trade, uh, I wonder how many people called and tried to cancel their season tickets. Uh, and, and I guarantee you, over what's happened over the last four weeks, ever since, I bet those people are trying to get their season tickets back now. <laughs> do
1: you, Do you think living is done for the offseason? I know he's, I know it's been busy, but you know, if if you're being a perfectionist out there, and if you're trying to win a Stanley Cup, and the Flames are obviously trying to win a Stanley Cup, then they might look at this lineup and go, "You've lost some goal scoring. Uh, could you maybe address that?"
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I. I the Calgary Flames right now have 10 defensemen on one-way contracts, and that's just not good business heading into the season. Uh, I I would be surprised if he didn't trade at least one of them uh, to try and shore up their wing position. You know, They lost two incredible wingers in Gaudreau and, and Kachuk, obviously. Uh, replaced one of them with Hubert but there's still that gaping hole uh, where Kachuk used to be. Now, you don't just replace a Matthew Kachuk, but you could still add to the depth. Up front. So I, I do anticipate that he'll trade another defenseman for a winger. Uh, I don't think it'll be a massive trade where you guys will be calling me wanting to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, and that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I do think that he's got a little bit left uh, to do
2: any any excuse to chat with you, Eric. So maybe we will if that <laughs> if that deal goes down. but it it is interesting because they had obviously the corresponding move to bring in kadri. they they had to give up the asset, the first round, the very complicated conditional first round pick uh, to move Sean Monahan to Montreal. Is there any possibility, I know Milan Lucic's name has been out there as another way to potentially clear salary cap space, but he's also been very effective in his role uh, for the Calgary Flames, I thought in particular in the playoffs last year. Do you still think there's any possibility that they would explore trying to to move Milan Lucic to another team to open up some more flexibility?
0: I guess, you know, you raise a great point because I, he is beloved in that room, he's beloved in the city, uh, he's you know, the, the, he doesn't have the speed to keep up in today's game anymore, but he, he could still be effective in so many other ways as a fourth liner. Right. I mean, uh, uh, the, obviously expectations and rules have changed for him over the years, but uh, he is, he is someone who the organization loves now, you know, he makes $5.3 million next year. I think the others are paying for like a million of it basically, but at the end of the day, yeah, that, I kind of was wondering if that was one of the players that was going to be included in the, uh, Monahan trade yesterday but that would have required even more uh, greasing of the wheel by the flames so no they they'd be thrilled to start the season with milan lucic um you know they've kind of cleared the cap issues that they had with Monahan, and and that allows them to keep uh, lucic for the final year of his contract and i know he doesn't you know seem like much probably for a lot of other teams and they say god that's a lot of money to pay for a fourth liner but he does bring a toolbox that's pretty unique in the nhl and he protects a lot of the players around him and uh and also, Brad, it brings experience and, and, and is just beloved in that room.
1: Let's say there's a rematch of the Battle of Alberta in the playoffs. Are the Flames better structured to defend the Edmonton Oilers, which they could not do and lost in five games to the Oilers?
0: I, that's a pretty loaded question. Like the, the big debate in Calgary right now is, are they better than last year? Like Against all odds, are they actually better without Goudreau and Kachuk? <laughs> And, and I would answer to this. I, I don't think they could get to the 111 points they did last year when they won the division uh, because they, they won't have the top line in hockey to lean on on all those Tuesday nights in Columbus and such. Uh, but, but I think that they're better prepared for playoff success now for sure. Uh, you know, Goudreau was notoriously uh, absent during most playoffs for the Calgary Flames. Uh, Kachuk didn't even really have great playoffs over the years, although I still think he's the kind of guy you win Stanley Cups with. Um, I, I think they're a better position for a playoff run. I'm not saying they'll beat the Oilers, but I'm saying that I, I think that the, the way they're structured, they're going to have to play a lot more two-one games and three-two games than they than they used to. Uh, but that's right up the alley of this coach, so so I think that that could work out well for them.
1: What is the Flames' window? How many years?
0: Oh, that's a good question. I think, I still think they've got two, at least two years because that's after two years is when you lose. Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin and, and, and a couple other guys, um, you know, the the window for sure is this year and, and, and next year, you know, they lose Lucic's salary and, and, and theoretically they could sign Wegar. Um, so I'd, I'd say at least two more years. And after that, it gets a little bit iffy because you'd have to sign a whole bunch of key players.
1: And also the age of Kadri and, Uh, Hubert O there, I mean, Kadri's already into his thirties, Hubert O's nearly there. Is there any concern? Did, did, did Brad Sherliving talk about that at all? Just the, the gamble that he's taken on, on a game that, uh, continues to get younger and faster.
0: Yeah, no, no, he didn't talk about that, but I think it's, it's, it's evident, you know, a lot of people, when they see these deals, they say, well, those won't age well. And, and I'm not going to debate that. You know, when Huberto's 39 years of age, how, how valuable is he at $10.5 million? Caudry's going to be 38 when his contract is up in his final year, and $7 million a year, and, and will he be able to be effective? Most UFA contracts don't age well. We know that. But that's the price you have to pay to get these stars in town. So uh, I don't think anyone's too, too worried about it. It's certainly something that's on some people's minds. But I think at the end of the day, it's worth the risk. Uh, it's it's worth the, the short term gain, uh, even though there may be some long term pain. Hey, by the time that those contracts are are aging out, uh, they may be two or three coaches and GMs down the road in Calgary. They may be through a rebuild by then. I mean, they're lock and change. But the, the the bottom line is right now, this city's in an almost eu- euphoric state, given where they were five weeks ago and and where they are now. And I was wondering for you guys, like from the outside looking in from from Vancouver. It, it, what are what are people thinking? There is it like, oh well, it's just they just shuffled the, the chairs on the deck. It's the same old Flames team.
1: No, or no, not at, thinking, not at all.
0: Not at all. No, people think it's a good team now. Uh,
1: oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, we were talking earlier, and um, you know, the the Canucks and the Flames windows might not line up. And you know, if 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 I if, if I were the Canucks, I would not have signed Nazem Kadri to that deal, even if I had the cap space, because I don't think they're right. Re- they're ready to win right now. The Canucks have to fix their blue line, improve their blue line. The Flames don't. The Flames have one of the best blue lines in the league. They're a complete team. They're ready to go. Um, I think what this does in the immediate future is just makes it harder for the Canucks to make the playoffs next season. Yeah. Like, period. That's, that's, That's it. I mean, it might help the Canucks in a few years if some of these contracts do start to age badly and the Flames do have to go into a rebuild. Then there's one less team you have to worry about in the playoff race, but for next season, we when when Goudreau left, put it this way, when Goudreau left and Kachuk wanted out, there was a lot of people that were repositioning the Canucks and the Flames in the Pacific Division power rankings. So I'd actually yeah. ask you right now, how do you see the Pacific Division if you were to power rank the top teams well, in the division?
0: You know, without looking too deeply into it, I would say that it looks like it could be a two-horse race between the two Alberta teams, you know, to try and win this division. Um, you know, I like Vancouver. I think that that was an awful season last year, and I think they're going to bounce back really well. Uh, I think they'll definitely be in the playoff mix. Um, you know, obviously Arizona is not a, a factor for a long, long time, if ever. Um, I, I think the injury to Robin Lehner could could be one of the most fascinating developments in the offseason in terms of the Pacific Division because, I still think that that team on paper is the most talented team uh, in the, in the division. Uh, But if you don't have a goalie and they've relied on some pretty good goaltending, if they don't have that goaltender, um, if they can't find the right guy, uh, they could be in real trouble. But I I see it as a two horse race. I don't know if you guys think that there's a, a surprise element in there that could come up and, Challenge one of those two, but if any of them, it would have to be Vegas, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, LA might be the other team, but those kind of five, Eric, as we talked about it earlier, you know, I agree. If you Calgary, Edmonton kind of one, two, and then I would have LA, Vancouver, and Vegas all in the mix for those three through five spots. Uh, we're in conversation with uh, SportsNet's Eric Francis talking Calgary Flames here on SportsNet 650, and you alluded to it a little earlier. Eric, but as much as you are kind of replacing not uh, you know, Kachuk and Goudreau with Kadri and Huberdeau, and you're thrilled to do that, you're also breaking up what was arguably the best line in the NHL last year uh, for Calgary's first line. Is, is the idea or the issue of chemistry, could that be potentially the biggest stumbling block, at least for Calgary? Calgary early in the season, as they try to find, okay, we've got these new players in, how do they best fit together, how can we rebuild that chemistry that was so effective for us last year?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean that—that that was the best line of hockey, no question about it. And uh, and and you can plug in other superstars or stars or however you want to term them, but if there's no chemistry. It, it'll take time. It'll take time. And Gerald Sutter will probably try a million different combinations with his forward lines to try and find the best chemistry. Uh, last year, it just clicked. That line just clicked from game one. And uh, and uh, the funny thing about that line was that that wasn't the plan last year. Uh, they were planning on using maybe Coleman on that top line, but he got a suspension for the first two games of the season. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the other three guys jumped in together and they were phenomenal and they, never, uh, they were never separated. So, yeah, it'll take time for these guys to figure out who plays best with who. Uh, and that could certainly set them back early on. But the, the other factor in that is the Calgary Flames start the season with nine of their first 10 games at home this year, which I've never seen in my life. Uh, but it really gives them a chance to get off to a great start, even if they are fumbling around trying to find chemistry and the X factor in all this guys is Daryl Sutter. I mean, when you look at this roster and how good it is, you know, up the middle with the three forwards, three centermen, uh, the defenseman, the goaltender Add to that the fact that they've got the reigning coach of the year who just has this real knack for finding chemistry between players and, and also squeezing the most out of a team that maybe is, is deficient in some areas. So, It'll be harder to score goals in Calgary this year, for sure, uh, but that that can play right into the, the defensive style that Daryl Sutter loves.
1: You know, it's funny, Eric, it, it wasn't all that long ago that the Canucks and the Flames met in the first round of the playoffs, and that was kind of the end of the the what we call the 2011 Canucks, um, and the end of the era. Um, and for the Flames, they had these young guys, Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan, and Michael Furland and Sam Bennett and people were talking about this great future for, for the Calgary flames. Now I know they had some good regular seasons. Calgary did, but at the end of the day, it was Sean Monaghan being traded to to Montreal and the kind of the, the Monaghan Goudreau era being over. How do you look back on that era?
0: Well, just, you know, one of the great duos in flames history, you know, when those two were playing together as they did the first six years, it was, it was magic. Now, we later found out that it was mostly Goudreau that was making that engine tick. And when they separated Monaghan from Goudreau the last two years, it's been a bit of a catastrophe for Monaghan. Again, Monahan's been had two hip surgeries in consecutive seasons, I think four wrist surgeries, a neck surgery, a sports hernia surgery. His body's just breaking down. Uh, but when those two guys were in their early days, the first six years they were together, uh, one of the best duos you'd, you'd ever see in the Calgary Flames. They were inseparable on the ice. They were inseparable off the ice. It was a really cool story, and they're very, very good friends. As a matter of fact, at one point, they contemplated going into business together to breed dogs together. <laughs> it was just kind of a... What? A <laughs> joke. Yeah, I know. It's the craziest story, but they, that's how tight they were. They, they were scheming. They both have the same sort of dog. One's American, one's Canadian, and uh, they were going to breed them and uh, sell the puppies and then you know start this little empire. Uh, I think it, until they realize that they probably make a whole lot more money being just focused
2: on hockey. The, the ultimate sign of friendship <laughs> is when you get into the dog yeah. breeding uh, Guys, business together. Guys, should we together. get into the dog
0: breeding <laughs> business? Should we do this? Let's do it. Let's go.
2: Uh, Eric, just before yeah. we let you go, I, you know, we talked about, okay, the windows the next couple of years, and then we all know what the risk is uh, down the road. I, I I don't think there's anyone who's going to sit here and say Brad Living, or there's not many people who say Brad Living shouldn't have made these moves to reload uh, given everything that happened, but what has to happen in the next couple of years for this to truly be looked at as at a, as a success? Is it simply win the Stanley Cup uh, when you're in this window?
0: Oh God, in this city, I mean, this team, this team, this franchise <clears throat> has been past the first round three times since they won the cup in '89. Yet it seems like most years they're they're always in that mix for a playoff spot. They're, they're just inside or just outside of one. But they can never, ever, you know, there's a long history of this franchise of being terrible in the playoffs. So I would say the answer to your question, for this to be a success, is for them to have some sort of success in the playoffs. And that doesn't necessarily mean win the cup, but show up. Be, you know, you guys saw that battle of Alberta in the playoffs this year. The Calgary Flames, after winning game one, completely disappeared. And, uh, and that's, that's par for the course for this franchise in the playoffs. So they need to alter that course. If they do, then this is all a success. If they don't, uh, you know, that's 100% how they'll be measured in playoff success. And, again, I don't – raising the cup is – only one team gets to do that, and it looks like there's a team that could win it a bunch of times in a row here. Uh, but uh, so, so we'll see how they fare in the playoffs. They just show up for the playoffs. Be yourself. Put your best foot forward. And I think that would be enough for a lot of people.
2: Hey, Eric, we always appreciate it. I, I hope you're going to have a chance to get some uh, some rest here after a very hectic offseason. And, hey, when when they trade that depth defenseman for a depth forward, we'll, uh, we'll get you on the horn again, okay? <laughs>
0: I look forward
2: to our weekly chat. Stories. Yeah, there he is. That is Eric Francis, who has been working overtime covering the Flames, the busiest, most interesting team, uh, I think, anyways, in the offseason in the NHL for Sportsnet, uh, getting us caught up on everything happening in Calgary and what the expectations are for this season.
1: Doesn't it show you how really difficult it is to win the Stanley Cup when you consider that the Flames had some really good seasons with that Gaudreau monahan mm-hmm. era, if you want to call it that, Uh, They won two playoff rounds. They beat the Canucks in twenty fifteen, and they beat the Stars just uh, a few months ago. And then went out badly to the Edmonton Oilers. It's incredible. They've only been past the first round three times since winning the Stanley Cup in nineteen eighty nine. They made it to the finals again in two thousand and four, and then there were those two aforementioned first round wins.
2: Think about that's it. You know they Jerome McGinley at his peak. He made it out of the first round once in the yeah. year they went to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. And other than that, it was first round exits every year that he was there with mm-hmm. them. It's it's very, very difficult. I, it's a good point that that Eric made there that as much as you can say, look, the goal is to win a Stanley Cup. And that should, for, for every team, that should kind of fundamentally be of course the only goal. When you do have a team with the history like Calgary does of consistently struggling and falling flat in the playoffs, if they go on two deep runs the next year... There's going to be a lot of people who are thrilled with that in Calgary.
1: Having the legitimate hope of a Stanley Cup is worth something. The fan base having hope and showing up in the playoffs and just not going out with a whimper. Mm -hmm. And I think the way the flames went out to the Edmonton Oilers last year, first of all, for me personally, it was a massive surprise. And I just and I don't know if it was a lot of just Markey didn't play well, or they got rattled by the talent of Connor McDavid and Leon Drysital and you know it, it, what McDavid was doing at times in the playoffs last year was absurd, tr- truly incredible. The first two rounds, I mean, he was incredible, and then they came up against a Colorado team that was just absolutely loaded, one of the best teams I've seen in the NHL in a long, long time. Uh, but the way the Flames went out. Was just it was shocking to me, and 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 I and I and I just I I couldn't understand how a Daryl Sutter coached team could look like that in the playoffs.
2: Well, it was shocking, especially after Game One. Now I know they gave up a lot in that first game as well, but it also looked like they were really going to be able to take advantage of the Oilers and the Oilers had Mike Smith in net. So as much as you can point to Markstrom and him, you know, not getting not really holding up his end of the bargain, yeah. for Calgary, you still thought Calgary was going to be able to take advantage of all the deficiencies that Edmonton had, and they it just cut, fell completely flat after that. It was really legitimately surprising, and I don't know. I don't know if I buy as much into... The you know Johnny Gaudreau can't get it done in the playoffs thing that oh, Eric the, Francis he, did he yeah.
1: scored the game win yeah series clinching goal against Dallas
2: but I also look at and you know it's not as if Jonathan Huberto is oh like legendary playoff warrior Jonathan Huberdeau. Yeah, the Panthers
1: a proud playoff
2: yeah exactly no some Cadre that doesn't hurt certainly adding Cadre add for those moments and the one as much as you can look at it and say okay they have to figure out a way to rebuild that chemistry on the top line because you lost a winger well that also means you added a center so you're significantly deeper down the middle now. Oh, for sure. Significantly deeper with Lindholm, Kadri and Backlund. Do
1: they have the elite? No or the or the the top 5 center? No. They don't. Nope. Like what what's who's their best center right now? Lindholm?
2: I would say Kadri. Okay. I, I So where does
1: Kadri rank? So the nhl.com list that came out had Kadri at 14. something like that in Lindholm at 12 some, I, I believe but right. I think
2: that's too high for Lindholm I don't know I, I like Lindholm as a player but I think a lot his career year I mean he was the third guy on that line right Yeah, and so he got a chance to put up huge points now look he played his role well but are you, are you calling him the Brendan Morrison of
1: that line <laughs> a little bit yeah
2: although I think I, I think Brendan Morrison was a little
1: underrated. Okay, but. in that year, in 2003, where would you have ranked Brendan Morrison around among all the centers in the NHL? <laughs> just such, off the top of your head. Such
2: a specific question. Just off the top of your well, head. Well, you know, I'd probably have him seven or eight. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know, man. But, you know, he wasn't. it's a I'm similar situation where he could hang with those guys yeah. and get the job done. But if you were expecting him to carry
1: a line on his own, that's probably not going to go as well. Ian Furness is going to join us from Seattle coming up next. We'll talk about the Seahawks. Their debacle of a preseason game against the Chicago Bears last night in Seattle. Uh, look ahead to the return of Russell Wilson to Seattle. We'll also talk a little bit of hockey. What have the Kraken done this offseason? Is it good enough for a fan base that really didn't get much excitement in its inaugural season? You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
2: Welcome back to Halford and Bruff SportsNet 650 Friday edition of the show. The official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. It is an Ask Us Anything Friday, so keep your submissions coming in. We've already had some very, very good ones. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber Text Line. Ian Furness from KJR Radio in Seattle, also Fox TV in Seattle is gonna join us. Momentarily, chat a little bit about the uh the Seahawks. I don't want to say embarrassing; it's preseason, but ugly loss against the Bears in in the preseason in Seattle last night. There was a touch of embarrassment last yeah.
3: night. You can't play football like that. It's it, it's bad.
1: Sure, that was Pete Carroll last night.
2: <laughs> um, sums it up, right? One of the accuracy drops. Not the hodgepodge of nothingness, but the there was another one about being pathetic or embarrassing or something. Anyways, you find it's it
1: ridiculous. There really is pathetic.
2: Yeah, that 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 was pretty good. You mm-hmm. could have been talking about the the Seahawks. The one thing I did notice is that um, as much as their special teams had problems, uh, Michael Dixon got ten punts in, he so he, he's going to be in mid-season form. <laughs> He, yeah. he got a lot of opportunities to practice last night. Yeah,
1: I, I, I have a feeling that, and here comes, Michael Dixon, Dixon to, to punt is going to be something that is uttered a few times. A stock phrase. In Seattle, yeah. Three and out. Here he's comes gonna,
2: Dixon. Uh, he's he's going to lead the league in total punts. Yeah. he got a
1: chance. That's pretty much it. it. Um, are we still trying to contact Ian Furness here? Uh, okay, let's do some Ask Us Anythings then into the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Ask Us anything. Is Deshaun Watson really that good? It's been a long time, and I don't remember. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's good. He's good. I I remember before all this stuff came out about Watson, like the the story had been was much smaller, and it didn't re like it was basically how many incidents mm-hmm. there had been mm-hmm. and how many women were coming forward and claiming this. I I did wonder about. Watson to the Seahawks when Russell Wilson looked like he was on his way out. And I wondered if that was a possibility. And I remember being like, yeah, I could I could I could talk myself into that now. Obviously my opinion on that has since changed, but he is a good quarterback. Well, and before any of this
2: was really out there, I mean you would you would hear people talk about, oh, the elite young quarterbacks in the AFC, and it was yep. Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. right, as guys who could be franchise yep. quarterbacks and lead your team to Super Bowl. And you, the talent you would assume is still there for Deshaun Watson. It's just, do you really want to be investing like the Browns are in him to be kind of the face, the de facto face of your franchise? Uh,
1: Kelly in Port Moody, uh, if you had to put money down, who would be the team that you think will acquire? Patrick Kane this year. I was reading uh, a story the other day that some odds makers had come out and said that Edmonton is the favorite to land Patrick Kane. And it might have been Gene Principe who was saying that Kane is on their radar. Interesting. Now, I don't know how they would make that work. When they would make that work, maybe it's one of these things where you have to wait until the trade deadline, and then the uh, the Blackhawks would retain half his salary. He's like a $10 million cap hit or I something believe along those lines. I believe just over ten. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think there's definitely going to be – they're going to retain half. Mm-hmm. And then as you get closer to the deadline, obviously, if you're under the cap, more cap space opens up. Another team I would look at for that reason is Colorado. Yeah right if Colorado
1: they, according to the odds makers i think we're second yeah uh,
2: that just makes a ton of sense because you got to assume patrick kane he's he wants to go to a cup contender no more obvious clear cup contender than the defending champions in colorado so that would be
1: where i would put what about buffalo? my money on <laughs> buffalo for sure, yeah. home yeah maybe i could see it but i think he's going to want to go to a winner right well is he on the rise at least in buffalo we've said that before we about have. buffalo and and they've yet also, to prove that they are he's a ufa after this year so why go to Buffalo this year?
2: Right. True. You can sign if you if you, you sign there later. You can sign there later in your career Chase if you want to finish it. Yeah. Wait to see if they're actually a team on the rise. Go to a team that actually has a chance to win. Peter uh, Hall
1: thought they were on the rise. <laughs> yeah, but after the last few years in Chicago, I I don't know if Patrick Kane is going to want to go to any team with any hint of dysfunction. Yeah. And the Sabers, I, I don't know what their situation is now, but they have been over the last decade one of the most dysfunctional teams. In the NHL. And I don't know if Patrick Kane would sign up for that. He's still such a terrific player, though. He is very good. Do you think, do you think he is the best stick handler in NHL history? Like, there is a conversation for that. Kovalev's up there. Kovalev was incredible.
0: Suk as well. Very, very Suk,
1: well. yeah. yeah, for sure. He's in that
2: conversation. He's in that mix. Mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting to see how that list develops as well because... I think we're going to see a lot more players who lean on that as a skill. Right. And especially now that the league is more willing to give players of Patrick Kane's stature a shot and you're going to see more guys who that's a big part of their game, but he he is, uh, he's been a phenomenal player and the thought of a already legit Stanley cup contender, adding him potentially at the deadline, like that's something, you know, a lot of times deadline deals kind of fizzle, but I think that's something that could really move the needle uh, for a team like Colorado or wherever else that Patrick Kane chooses to go.
1: Another text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. And Ian Furness uh, doesn't seem to be picking up his phone. So if you got any texts or comments, ask us anything, please send them into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Here's one. Bruff, you tweeted about the Lions needing to be a must watch, but haven't mentioned their game tonight. I'm saving it for Moj. We've got Moj at 8 o'clock to preview the Lions' big game against mm-hmm. the Rough Riders in Regina tonight. I really want this team to return home 8-1 and one for their rematch against the Riders the following Friday. Yep. Um, I know that might be getting ahead of myself, but I'm not on the team, so it doesn't matter. I'll leave it to Nathan Rourke and company to s- stay present. S- to live in the moment. To live in the moment. Uh, I have already got tickets for the Rough Riders game um, next Friday. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I-, I just think um, – I, not think, I, I wonder when or if the Lions are going to build the momentum in this market, because they haven't yet. It hasn't happened yet, but I think these t- things tend to be exponential sometimes, like the Nathan Mark, little Nathan Mark, and then mm-hmm. guys start talking like, who is Nathan Mark? Oh, yep. this is the guy the, the Lions have, like, you gotta go, you gotta go check it out. Um, after the summer is over is usually a better time for the lions to get better crowds. You know, we all know what BC place is like sometimes, even if the roof is open and it's hot and it has been hot here in Vancouver. So there might be some people that don't want to go to BC place, even that they just watch it on TV. But I do know that Nathan Rourke is now like, I'm not going to call him a TV ratings monster, but it is affecting the ratings in a positive way. Uh, People across the league, across Canada are tuning in to watch Nathan Rourke and these next two games, because the Rough Riders are always rated pretty well on TV. These next two games, I think, are going to get gangbuster ratings. And just
2: on that point and looking ahead, uh, again, not staying in the moment, but looking ahead to when they are home uh, against Saskatchewan next week, we had somebody text in earlier in the week, why does 650 never give away lines tickets, which is not accurate. We've given them away many times in the past. Next week, in fact, on the People's Show, every day, they'll be giving away a four-pack of tickets to that game, uh, against the Rough Riders at BC Place next Friday. So if you do want to go check out the Lions, you'll have a chance to win tickets next week on the People Show. And again, as you said, if they win this week, if they win tonight, that has a chance to really be a big moment for this team and just kind of uh, almost a proof of how much does Nathan Rourke make a difference, right? Yeah. If you if you get the turnout you want and you expect to that game, that's going to be a really important milestone uh, for for this line, uh, sorry, for this team. Uh, I wanted to read this one. It came in from Mike, the urologist from Brockville. Ask us anything. Accepting that in general, preseason games are terrible, what league has the best preseason games and the worst preseason games? And he says, spring training baseball is good. Uh, NFL preseason, two thumbs down. I think the difference in quality between the preseason product and the regular season product is probably biggest in the NFL. It's just a shadow yeah. of the sport that
1: you're used to watching. It's so hard to make judgments on players too. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you'll you'll give these guys a chance to start. Let's say there's a player like Drew Locke, for example, on the Seahawks. Was I curious about watching him? Yeah, I was curious about watching him. And when he did play in the first preseason game before he, he caught COVID, um, there were some moments where he looked good. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to take into account that he didn't start the game, so he doesn't necessarily have all the best weapons. And 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 you know some of the Seahawks' best receivers like Metcalf and Lockett didn't even play in that game, and he's against depth defenders. So if he makes a a, a touched a couple touchdown passes against depth defenders, what does that really mean? Yeah. Like Jacob Eason last night for the Seahawks, who's their third string quarterback, looked okay mm-hmm. at times, not great, but. Okay, at times, how would he look if he was put in the position of being the starter? Yeah, and even last, it's just so hard to tell.
2: Last night with the Seahawks, as much as you're frustrated, oh my goodness, they're dropping passes. Well, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf played three snaps, weren't targeted. Yeah, two of their other top receivers were injured. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, those other guys drop passes, but they're not going to be catching the ball anyways. Exactly. They're not going to be they're, the they're ball's not going to be today. in their direction. <laughs> yeah, right, so it, it's the kind of thing where. Yeah, you would love top to bottom your team. Everyone's locked in and we're not making any mental mistakes and we're sharp even in preseason, but those aren't going to be the guys who are making plays. Those aren't going to be the guys you're relying on to make plays in the regular season, so how much does it actually matter? I will say to the the texter's question about which has the best preseason, spring training's hard to judge because it's incredible to go to. I've been to spring training games. It's awesome. It's super fun. Great atmosphere. It's kind of like going to the NAT, but there's major league players there. It's a blast, but I don't know if it's, it's not, certainly not appointment TV viewing. I don't really know if there's any sport that's fun to watch or is particularly fun to watch in the preseason.
1: I find NHL preseason frustrating sometimes because you'll always have these narratives about a young player that comes in and plays well in the preseason and then people make a big deal out of it. And the Canucks made a big deal out of it, actually, frankly, and made some decisions that ended up being wrong decisions at times. I think about some of the players that really – looking back on a guy like Ben Hutton who came in and played well, that guy should have been in the minors for another year. But the Canucks were in this situation where they were looking for anything, and he did play well, right, like legitimately Mm -hmm. well. But there should have been more of a long-term view to his development. But the Canucks had this attitude that if you come in and you play well, in the preseason then we will make room for you on the roster. Now that sounds good in theory and I, and I get it, right? It's a merit based business. And if you come in and you play well, then maybe you deserve a spot on the team, but I think you have to take a longer term view of these things. And I also think you have to understand that not everyone treats the preseason the same way. Mm-hmm. Young players are going to be amped up for the preseason. They're going to be ready to roll. The veterans are really going to use it to just get their timing down. They're not going to go all out. They just aren't. It would be foolish to go all out in the preseason. You can't possibly go all out.
2: Another example is Adam Gaudet, right? There was that one season, and I think it was his second year in the NHL, second full year in the NHL, but he was not a guarantee at all to make the team out of camp. Comes in, plays really well, Mm -hmm. and so they send Sven Berchi down instead and make room for Adam Gaudet. You know, Adam Gaudet ended up only really playing – 14 games in the AHL. Yeah. That's a player I look at. Probably could have learned, stood to learn a few things in the AHL, Whoa. and maybe would have been able to retain some value on Sven Berchi as well. That was in that actually, situation.
1: it was actually pretty remarkable when Trent Call came on our program on, on, on this station and yeah. said exactly that. He should have played more AHL games. Mm-hmm. Now, he was safe to say that because the management group wasn't around anymore, but that was, uh, it, that was remarkable actually mm-hmm. hearing that. And Niels
2: Hoaglander is another one. Now, Hoaglander obviously had a really impressive rookie year, but I know Yannick Hansen has brought this up multiple times on this station that he looks at Niels Hoglander and see a player who would have benefited from time yeah. in the AHL time mm-hmm. to learn a lot of those details of the pro, gra- pro game. I still like Hoaglander a lot, so I think it's way – I'm not saying, oh, it's a mistake and they've ruined mm-hmm. his development or anything like
1: Jared that. Jared McCann was another guy.
2: But you can make the case. Yeah. And, and with Hoaglander, it's what you were talking about. It was we need a top six winger, and we don't want it to be Jake Furtanen and so here's Niels Hoglander, and he's having a really good camp in the yeah. in the weird, you know, shortened season. He's he's coming over from midseason in Europe. So we're gonna put him in the lineup because we need somebody there.
1: The other alternative, the, 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 the to play devil's advocate on that situation, and this is why is it why it's tough, is if you want to create a culture of competition, then it might seem unfair sometimes if a young player okay. comes in and outplays a veteran in the preseason significantly outplays that veteran. And then you send that young player down. But I think if it goes to, if you can, if you have good communication skills with your young players and as an organization as a whole, you can explain that. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I I mean, I brought up Jared McCann and I've brought up, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I remember asking Willie Desjardins, what is your big fear about having Jared McCann on the team when they were trying to make that decision? right? And he said, my fear is that the league gets hard for him and the league, the schedule grinds him down a bit. And that's exactly what happened. And I think that's happened to Nils Hoaglander too. Like the league has gotten hard for him. And if you're going through that adversity and you're not a top line player, it can be really difficult because you lose your confidence and sometimes you're in healthy scratch territory. And sometimes it just becomes, and then it also becomes a little bit too late to send you down to the minors. Not even because of waiver rules sometimes, mm-hmm. although sometimes that is a factor just because it would be such a, such a demotion. Well, that's then. the thing. Then it, becomes would a real, such, it would be such a demotion. A real hit if you, to your confidence. Yeah. Right? If you're, you're like, sent down to the minors.
2: It's like, oh wow, they must really be dissatisfied with him if they're sending him down to the minors. And I, I think the point you raised where you want to build this culture to use the the catchphrase, the buzzword where, you know, Hey, this is merit-based. Nobody's guaranteed a spot. If you prove it, if you prove that you're, you're ready, you earn it. We're going to give you that spot. There's something to be said for that. You just have to really finally balance it with the flip side and the potential downside. And I look at Tampa Bay, a team that, is really well
1: known for they send their guys to the AHL, right? You know, yeah. you can look at the players who And that can be part of it. Like uh, you can tell the guys that can yeah. be part of your communication style or communication strategy. We say, look at all these guys that did that. Do you think you're better than them? Yeah. You you, yeah. you you can you can put it that way. Like you're no you're part of the Tampa Bay Lightning organization now, and this is how we do things. This think. is how it goes. Now you have to start that track
2: record. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, and it wasn't it kind of worked out almost by accident, but Jack Rathbone ended up spending the bulk, the vast majority of the year in the AHL.
1: I really hope he's successful this year so that the Canucks can sell that story yes. to their young players. Jack Rathbone easily could have been in the NHL last season concerning what he was doing in the AHL. And I think there were times that the Canucks actually did want to call him up, but they ran into other injury situations and they ran out of calls yeah. or whatever. Uh, but the fact that they just sent him down there and he played really well. He dominated, and, and, and that's what you want. Oh, we've got we got Ian Furness. Okay. We do, yeah. Well, well quick
2: chat here uh, with our guy in Seattle, Ian Furness from KGR Radio and Fox TV. Ian, thanks very much for doing this, and we'll get right into it. Uh, a debacle against the Bears for the Seahawks last night. It's still preseason, though. How much cause for concern is there uh, for Seahawks fans from that result?
3: because of, of how bad they played and how sloppy it was. It was just, it was so bad that even by preseason standards, it was awful, you know? And so just the, this, how unprepared they were, uh, 13 penalties is just, doesn't matter what you're doing, you know, scrimmage, you know, spring game. It, it just was, I think the bigger picture, there should be a little bit of concern. They just were, they were unprepared and that's just very unlike Pete Carroll's teams.
1: Did, The Drew Locke situation and that being him uh, testing positive for COVID and actually being quite sick with COVID and not being able to start, did that just throw everything off kilter?
3: Yeah, I I don't know if that was it. I think it was – I mean, it's funny because, you know, him not being able to play and not being available was probably a good thing for for Drew Locke. I mean, because, you know, there was – basically nobody played well, and so for him not to play in a game that was that poor – uh, in terms of execution, he probably, you know, in, in a sense, didn't hurt himself at all. I don't think it was that. I mean, in fact, Gino probably wasn't. You know, of all the players, Gino Smith, he wasn't spectacular. But I would say he saw the numbers. Don't really tell the story. A lot of drop balls. Uh, I mean, he hit a couple guys in hands. He had a really nice play on third down. Yeah. Uh, that he he, had, he completed a pass and there was a penalty called on that. You know, a quick little slant. So. But I think Drew Locke, you know, if he comes back and is able to play next week against Dallas, maybe he's still in the mix after all, and nobody thought that was possible beforehand. Uh, but Pete Carroll did say he was quite sick, so that's that's the other part of it. It's not, you know, I mean, we kind of downplay COVID these days, and I think, you know, that every now and then someone gets hit pretty bad, and he's been hit pretty bad by it. Do you think the Seahawks,
1: in a way, the brain trust, and I'm talking about Pete Carroll, do, do you think they want Drew Locke to be the starter?
3: I think it makes sense for them to want him to be the starter. Um, I, which is weird, because that's what doesn't make sense. Why Gino is kind of in the lead and has been in the lead, and we haven't really had a true. I mean, we really haven't had a competition, guys. Uh, I mean, Drew Locks had one practice in which he was really kind of the guy with the number ones, and that one practice, as it turns out, he was really sick, and he, you know, he played really poorly. Then he was awful that practice. It was when was it this week Tuesday, I guess it was. And we're like, man, what happened? He's just bad. Well, then we come to find out he's sick, like they sent him home right afterwards. So, um, but that's the odd thing. It would seem to make sense for him, to, for them to want him to be the guy, because then that takes that off the table for a you know having to worry about a quarterback in the draft in the future. But so far, it hasn't even been a competition. I mean, there's nothing about this it has been a competition.
2: What was the biggest red flag from last night's performance for you, Ian, that that could carry over and have meaningful results or consequences in the regular season?
3: Well, the penalties come into play. Uh, They had 13, and they were just – and it wasn't like, you know, listen, if you get penalties and it's a late hit or, you know, something like that, that's one thing. You know, it's procedure. You know, guys jumping offside on offense. The, the just the the fact that the offensive line, which I thought was going to be kind of a strength, despite the youth on it, uh, Charles Cross was the his left tackle, and he played pretty well against Pittsburgh in Week One. He just was. Uh, he might have been one of their worst players, and that's a little bit scary because I think they're counting on him, even though he's a rookie. You know, a ninth overall pick to come in and and be solid for them and be good for them, and he was anything but that on Saturday. Uh, for or our Thursday last night. So, I think the cross is poor play. Um, you know, they don't play they do not really play any starters in the secondary. So, that's not as much of a concern. Cody Barton's a starting linebacker. Uh, they didn't play Jordan Brooks, the, their best linebacker, but Barton's supposed to be the second starting stack linebacker with, you know, with him. He had a he had a struggle again after this in this game. Um, you know, and I th- so I think those are the things that just kind of jump out. Special teams were really bad, too. Uh, they did get an onside kick later, I get that, but really early in the game, especially they gave up a lot of big uh, returns. Uh, so special teams, which has always been a strength for this team, that also struggled, and that's something that, you know again, doesn't matter when you're playing, you know you, you got to be better there, too. So I think those would be the biggest concerns.
1: Is it also a concern for Seahawks fans that the first game of the season for them might be the most important game of the season for them, and they don't want to get embarrassed in that one?
3: Uh, that's a good point, man. Yeah, Russell Wilson rolling into town with Denver. It's a good football team, and, and just everything about that game is good. I mean, now, the good thing is they'll have a crowd, the crowd on their side. You know, I mean, it's they had a decent crowd last night for a preseason game. I, I don't know what the announced attendance was. I mean, I know it, what it looked like. It looked like they probably had in the 50,000 range or something like that, but that first game is going to be just popping because of Russ, and um, and that's a hell of a way to start. Right, that's a real. a heck of a way to start that first game against you know that guy specifically. So, um, but you know they'll they'll tell you no matter what they do, win or lose, oh, 17 game season, it's one game, blah blah blah, that kind of stuff, all the same cliche. But yeah, you're, you're right. That first game has some added importance. There's no doubt.
2: You know, Pete Carroll was uh, obviously pretty frustrated after the game last night. Understandably so. I'm really curious to see how he handles the season because it's such a different team than the ones we're used to seeing in Seattle, which of course expected to be competitive playoff contending teams year in, year out. We know that's, you know, that's central to Pete Carroll's view is he wants to compete and win all the time. This year, it might be more about, hey, you've got, you've got some rookies, you've got some young players who are still learning, who are still making those types of mistakes. I mean, I I guess my question is, are are, are we going to see, or could we see a lot of, you know, frustrated Pete Carroll press conferences like the one we saw uh, last night this year?
3: I, I don't know. That was so out of character for him. I was surprised. It, it took him, you know, we were doing a game show for TV, and it took him 20 minutes to open the locker room, and that's, that's really odd. Uh, even in the regular season, it's supposed to open sooner than that, and the fact that he was the guy in there keeping it closed, and I talked to a few players, and, yeah, he was upset. I mean, that was, he wasn't just upset at the podium when he spoke to the media. He was upset, period. That's out of character for him, and, you know, he built – he built a team up before from scratch, um, you know, and he's a patient guy. That's not how his coaching style is. So I think what I'm kind of thinking, what I read into how that went last night is the frustration that he had is probably as much frustration as his overall concern, you know, even though it's a preseason. And that's that's a little bit uh, that's a little bit scary. If you're a, if you're a Seahawks fan, man, that's not what you're used to seeing at all.
1: Ian, let's talk a little about the Kraken because we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, yeah. What it's been another kind of quiet offseason. I realize they've made moves. Of course, they've made moves. They're they're a very they're a very new franchise, but the big ticket stuff. I know a lot of people wondered if they'd make a run, for example, for Nazem Qadri, and and, and that never happened. Are they just continuing to? Take the slow and steady pace and and they'll be happy with the development of maddie Beniers, and they'll be happy with drafting Shane Wright, and they'll hope this thing comes together slow and steady but ultimately really well,
3: yeah, they would probably argue that well hey, we went out and we got Barikovsky, you know and and, and you know made that as a, you know, as a splash that's not signing, a splash would, that's not a splash yeah though. that's no, I know, yeah. and that's i'm I'm going what they would say, so yeah, right. they would do that and then you know i would I would say they you know, I would argue that they got kind of lucky because Bjork kinda of landed in their lap, you know, thanks to uh, you know, another team having a salary cap issue. But, you know, those are their two big acquisitions. I mean, they'll try to pump up an acquisition or two of a couple of defensemen that are that are bottom pair guys, right? Like so I don't and that's that seems to still be a weakness. You know, they don't they don't have a I mean their number two goalies you know, your guy from up there and Jones whose best years are long, long behind him. So yeah. They're, they're a slow play, you know, longer approach team. I, I just, you know, I think in today's world in professional sports, I think that's a risky maneuver to myself. That's just me. I just think that you don't do that with it, just the way things are, right? Like people have disposable income. How are they going to spend it? You have one chance to make that good first impression. Uh, the building sensational, the atmosphere, the game presentation's all fun, but you've got to win. Like you just have to win. And especially now with the baseball team having success there's you know competition there I know it's a different type of, you know different season but you've got that competition um, I, I I've been a little disappointed in fact I've been not a little bit I've been really disappointed in how they've approached things along the way I just think it's been uh, I think they could have done a little bit better job and a little bit more uh, aggressive uh, in, in all their areas I mean Shane Wright let's be honest he lands in your lap um, you know for whatever reason you get that guy that makes Maybe could have been the number one guy and you'd probably have your two number one centers, you know, for years to come and been and right. But yeah, I, I think they could have done more. I think they could have done more last year, you know, in hindsight, it's 2020. But I, I was really disappointed with, with how they approached their, their expansion year too.
2: Ian, thanks for taking some time to chat with us this morning. Uh, we'll do it again soon.
3: Gentlemen, anytime. Thanks.
2: That is Ian Furness of KGR Radio and Fox TV in Seattle talking Seahawks and Kraken. We got to go. More football on the way with the Moj, the Lions, back in action tonight. We will get into that with the Moj. Plus more Ask Us Anything and what we learned coming up at 830. So keep your submissions coming in. It's half and Bruff, Sportsnet 650.